I was thinking about this, uh, the glow stick. Really, I was thinking about light. And, um, you know, the glow stick's pretty interesting because it's like an encapsulated form of light that you can touch, right, that you can hold. There's not a lot of things that, uh, when it comes to light, that we can hold. We can put our hands around, maybe a flashlight. But the glow stick, it's an encapsulated form of light that you can touch and hold. And as I was thinking about light, I was, I was trying to put a definition to light. And so this question was coming up in my mind. It was, what is light? If I were to ask you to define light, if you could give me you know, a definition, if we could sit down and have a discussion, what would you say? How would you begin to put your thoughts together to describe to what, li- what light really is? Imagine you were talking to someone who had never experienced light. What would you tell them? And as I begin to look and study to find a, a definition of light, what I realize is this. There really is no one single definition that satisfies all of the ways in which we encounter and experience light. I mean, if you, if you were to meet a physicist, that person would be interested in, in the physical properties of light. They would talk about all the, all the scientific stuff. Whereas if you were to talk to an artist, an artist would be interested in the aesthetic properties and the appreciation of light and how it affects what they're trying to convey. Light, is, it's hard to describe. But if you want a purely scientific definition of light, really simple, here's what you would get. It is electromagnetic radiation that, you, that the human eye can detect. We all seem satisfied with that, right? (laughs) Electromagnetic radiation that the human eye can detect. It's really hard to to describe it. So we we talk about what what light does. You think about the light from the sun, right? It it warms the earth. The light from the sun drives global weather weather patterns. And actually, the light from the sun is what initiates the life-sustaining process of photosynthesis. You're like, is this a sermon or a science lecture? Where are you going with this? Photosynthesis, right? It's the process that plants use to create food and to grow. It's light that initiates that and helps sustain that on this earth. Astronomers tell us this. They tell us that the light that we get from the universe, everything that we know about the universe and we can study about the universe, right, the beyond, comes to us in the form of light. We capture the light and we can study it. It's like light provides a window to the universe, allowing us to observe and understand what's going on. I mean, they say that the light that we've received from the universe, we can measure the universe. We can tell how how big it is and that, in fact, it's actually expanding. We can tell that the light that we receive, it tells us what stars are made of. We can determine the composition of stars. They say that the light that we've received, we can get a glimpse of the earliest beginnings of the universe. Earliest beginnings. It's incredible. We've created these telescopes so that we can detect more light, so that we can learn more information about what's going on in the universe. They say that because of light's interactions with matter, right? Matter, everything that the universe is made of, we call it matter because we don't have a better word, matter. Light's interaction with matter has helped form and shape the structure of the universe. How incredible is that? You think about light, and it started with this this simple glow stick or or maybe a bulb in the ceiling, or maybe you just take light for granted. You wake up in the morning, and it's bright outside. You flip the light on when you go to the bathroom. You you can't find something, so you don't pull out a flashlight. You pull out your phone, right, because our phones are the new flashlights. And you look for something. You take it for granted. Light is always there. It's always always around you. But when you think about it, light is so much more than a bulb in the in the ceiling. So much more than just waking up and it's light outside. No, no, no. Light initiates life. Light sustains life. Light gives us a glimpse into the beginning of the universe. That means that light points to something, that light reveals something, that light is telling us 
something that there is something more out there. It's pointing to a beginning, to, to intelligence, to a creator. How, how amazing is that? Have you ever stopped to consider the light that you can detect with your eye is so much more than just illumination? That there's power in it. That there's information encapsulated in it that we can decode and look into the universe. It's pointing to something. It's pointing to a beginning. And that's amazing because if you think about it, for years and years and years, they just thought that the universe always, you know, always was. And now scientific understanding is this, is that the universe has a beginning. Light is pointing to a beginning, telling us if there's a beginning, then there has to be a beginner. That if there's a beginner, then there had to be intentionality, right? There had to be, there had to be some, some plan behind it. There had to be intelligence behind it. Like, there can't just be a random universe. I mean, that's what science would have us believe, right? That we're just products of time plus chance plus matter. We're just a random thing that happened. They've actually done some studies, and they found the statistical probability of the Earth just randomly appearing as it is, the universe being as, as dialed in, as specific, as, as patterned as it is, right? That the, the Earth is angled at just the right angle on its axis, and there's just the right amount of oxygen, nitrogen, all of it. It just happened to be specifically and exactly what it needs to be, all by chance, all by chance. They said that is the, the, the same statistical probability of a tornado coming through a junkyard and assembling a Boeing 747. <laughs> and I didn't make that up, right? It's not like, that's, the, that's the statistical probability of the universe as it is just, boom, being here. So science says there's a beginning. The universe started because it's, it's, it's expanding. It continues to grow. So there is a point in time when the universe came into being. They just don't know who created it. And now the question still remains, what is light? We don't really have a better answer than when we began a few moments ago. But I think to understand what is light, we have to ask the question, where did light begin? From where, from whom did light originate? So we know that light has a beginning because it points to a beginning. It says there's, there's, there's a beginning of this whole thing. So where did it originate? And you know what? Science can't tell us that. Science can tell us what it is. Science can observe it. We can observe the light, right? We can study the light. We can make some some decisions and some inferences on the basis of the observation of the light. But science can't tell us where light began. Now, I'm not dogging science. I believe in science. I think that God gave us a mind for a reason, and, and we have reason and the ability to think and be critical, and we should do that. But to answer this question from where did light originate, we have to look someplace other than a textbook. We have to look someplace other than just our current scientific understanding. And we have the opportunity to consider what God says about light, what the Bible says about light. Maybe you say, well, I, I don't necessarily believe in the Bible. I don't, I don't agree with all of it. That's okay. But to be intellectually honest, to really be a person of, of, of you know, critical thought, you at least have to consider what's said in the Bible. Well, the Bible is not a science textbook. You're right. But, but I, believe, I believe that the more discoveries we make scientifically, the more it points to a creator. The more it points to intelligence. The more it points to a beginning and a beginner. So what I want to do is I want to take you to the very first place in the Bible that the word light is mentioned. Interestingly enough, it's mentioned after the first couple words that say in the beginning. The very first mention of light follows the prepositional phrase in the beginning. 
That's how the, the biblical narrative starts. In the beginning. From the very beginning of God giving us his word, he decided to start the revelation of himself to humanity with in the beginning. Something that now just modern science is catching up to saying, well, there's a beginning. Here's what it says. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Verse 3, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, literally, he said, light be, and light was. Light came into the earth. Light came into the universe, I should say. Now, what's interesting here is, is that God is saying that he created light, that he spoke it into existence. He said, light be, and it was. An intentional, powerful creator said, light be. Now, you can dismiss that and say, oh, that couldn't really be, but let me give you something to consider. We, we already know that what light does, that light drives global weather patterns, right? Light is what initiates the, the life-sustaining process that plants use to grow and provide oxygen for you and I. That would insinuate that light has power, that light has this life-creating capacity, that inside of light is the information about the universe. And as we can see it and observe it, we can decode it and understand more. So light is much more than just a thing, right? Much more than just a construct, that there is creative power in light, which would make sense if a creative God, a powerful God, a powerful creator imparted himself into the light and said, light be, and it went and it began to do the processes that it was created to do. Here we have God saying, let there be light, answers the question, this is where light came from. It came from God, who would we would posit is the beginner, is the creator, is the intelligence behind the universe. Not the random universe, but the intentional universe. And so we see that, okay, light has a beginning, The Bible takes it one step further. If we look through the biblical narrative, we'll see that the Bible not only says that God created light, it makes another statement entirely, which raises it to a new level. If we'll go all the way through to the New Testament, to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, there's another statement about light, and here's what it says. It says, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. Listen to this. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. God is light. Is is a being verb, right? It communicates that it is who he is. So it's not just saying that God created light. What it's saying is that God is light. So the question really is not what is light. The better question to ask is who is light? God is light. So what does that mean? What that means is, is that when you walk out of this service and you look up and you see the sunlight, what you are actually looking at is a reflection of the creative God of the universe saying, this is who I am. I did not just create this. I am this. Any light that you see is a reflection of the creator in the universe. Makes more sense when you read Psalms and you hear David say, and the universe and all of creation will speak of you, will sing of your glory, for you have revealed yourself in the creation. God is light. We can't look at light the same way anymore because when we see the sun shining down, when we feel its warmth, we're not just feeling a a thing. No, no, no. We are feeling a reflection of God himself. 
that he imparted himself into light. That's why light can create. That's why light can have information. That's why light can help inform the structure and the shape of the universe because God imparted himself into the light because God himself is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty amazing. I did some study, and what I discovered is, is this. I looked at the word light in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, and that, that's written in Greek. The New Testament is written in Greek. And then I said, I wonder if the same word used in Greek for God is light is, would be the same word used in the Old Testament. However, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. But there was a Greek translation of the, New, of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, from which Jesus himself actually quoted quite a bit. And when they translated first, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3 into Greek, they used the same exact word for light that John used in the New Testament to say God is light. It's the same word. You say, well, what's the big deal? Well, I know in English that sometimes we, we use one word to have multiple meanings. But in a lot of other languages, they have many words that kind of communicate the same thing, but a different aspect of that thing. Like Spanish, for example, does that quite a bit. There's one word, like in Spanish, they have two verbs to mean to be. We have one. We say to be, I am. They have two of them that communicate different nuances of the same idea. And that's what's happening here. It's the same exact word. So God is light. God created light. They tie the thread together. Not only did he create it, but he is light. He said, let there be light. And maybe at this point you're thinking, I thought this was Christmas. Not a creation sermon. Good question. But actually, they tie together. Let there be light. That's, the, that's the, the theme of the entire service here this morning. Let there be light. Have you ever wondered why at Christmas time there are so many lights? You can't separate Christmas and light, can you? I mean, go home. You're going you're to walk in the door and there's going to be your trees going to be lit up. There's going to be uh, maybe a lighted garland in your house. There's lights on your house. There are lights everywhere you go. You can go to Santa's Magical Kingdom and pay a lot of money to drive through and just look at lights, right? And go, ooh, ah, that cost me 25 bucks, you know? <laughs> why? Because we're infatuated with light at Christmas. Have you ever stopped to consider Why? Or have you just bought lights year after year because it's the nice thing to do? Because everyone else is doing it. No, Christmas is all about light. Because God didn't, didn't just say, let there be light once in Scripture. No, God said it twice. The first time was at the foundation of the earth. The second time was at Christmas. When God broke through time and space into our world, into our universe, and said, let there be light to humanity in the form of himself. He brought light to the darkness and the brokenness and the pain of humanity when he came in the form of a human being. What's amazing is this. So this glow stick, right? It's an encapsulated form of light that we can touch, that we can hold, that we can look at, that we can benefit from, that we can take with us, and it can illuminate dark places and, 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 and lead us to where we need to go to help us see in Genesis, when God created light, it was kind of an impersonal light, right? It didn't really touch humanity in the form of relationship. 
Yet at Christmas, what God was saying is, let there be light and not an impersonal light that shines from outside the universe into your universe. No, let there be light in the universe. I'm going to come as a human being, what we call the incarnation, God putting on flesh so that he could be a personal light, so that he could be with us, so that he could sit with us, so that he could be in relationship with us, and so that ultimately his light could shine from within us, not just on us but be in us. See, that's what, that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is let there be light. It is the greatest statement of all time. I would postulate greater than what God did in Genesis. He did in Christmas when he said, let there be light and came in the most vulnerable way that he could come to humanity in the form of a baby on this earth. He limited himself to being a human being. And he put himself in the hands of a young teenage couple, Mary and Joseph, who were poor, who'd never had a baby, who didn't even want to get pregnant. It was a questionable pregnancy, almost ended in divorce. But God intervened, and and this beautiful thing happens. Here is this baby who is God on the earth, who God has said, let there be light. And he's given it to humanity to hold and to raise, to be subject to our brokenness. What does that mean? That means that this person that we call Jesus, person that we believe is God, was on this earth, and he he knows what it is to be happy. He knows what it is to be joyful. He knows what it is to feel sorrow and pain and hurt. He's been subjected to everything that you and I have, yet he remains the light of the world that came, that came. That's what Christmas is. See, it's not what is light, it's who is light. And if you can get that fixed in your mind, it changes your perspective because I guarantee you after today, at least this is my hope, that you'll never look at light the same way again. That you'll never take it for granted. That you won't be satisfied with, it's just electromagnetic radiation that your eye can detect. Woohoo. No, 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 you'll see that it's personal. There's meaning and there's purpose in light. And maybe you can ask the question, though, well, how can we be sure that, that this baby you're talking about, Jesus, that, that he really is God, that he really is the light that you, you say? How can you, how can you draw that, that distinction and, that, and, and bring those together? Well, if we would go to John chapter 8, verse 12, we find Jesus making a pretty profound statement. It's a, it's a statement of divinity. It's a claim that he is God. They're celebrating this thing called the Festival of Tabernacles, and this festival was really a celebration of light. It's a celebration of freedom and salvation. What they celebrate is that their people, the Jews, the Hebrews, they were in slavery to Egypt for over 400 years, and God led them out of that, and he used light in the form of fire to lead them out of slavery, to lead them into their own nation, to make them a people a self-governing people. They celebrate it. They celebrate light. And Jesus would have been standing in this spot and there would have been these huge cauldrons of fire, maybe almost 20 feet high, just burning and light going everywhere, dispersing the darkness. People from around could see all this light that was just protruding from. And he's standing there with the understanding of what's going on. And he chooses this moment to make this statement. Here's what he says. So Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I am the light of the world. You will have the light that leads to life. Guess what? That word for light, it's the same word used in Genesis. The same word used in 1 John. Now it's used in John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus is the light 
of the world. See, that, that, that's not just a statement of like an analogy. No, no, no. What he's saying is, is that I am God. Now, we read that sometimes. We're like, cool, he's the light of the world. Awesome. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying he is God, that he's the God of the universe, that he's the one that, that, that came to be part. And that's a pretty amazing claim to make because it, it lets Jesus uh, put himself into one of three categories that we have to choose, that he's either Lord, like he is who he says he is. He's God. He's a lunatic or he's a liar. Now, he's a lunatic if he believes he's God but doesn't really realize that he's not. And then when he died, he would have never resurrected. He would have never, you know, uh, ascended into heaven. He, was a, he would be a lunatic if he just really believed it. He's just like crazy. You know, we all got somebody crazy in our family, right? They believe something, but you really know it's not true. But you just let them be who they are because it's easier to do it that way, you know. He's a lunatic, or he's a liar. What's a liar? A liar is someone who, who says something they know is not true. They lead people on solely for their own benefit. Some people say, well, 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 couldn't he just be a good man? Couldn't he just be a good prophet? Couldn't he just be like a guy that we revere? No, 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 he can't be. He's either Lord, he's lunatic, or he's liar. Because if, if he was knowingly misleading people, even with a good intention, I would, I would say that that's not a good person. A good person doesn't knowingly mislead people for their own benefit. Well, if he was crazy, yeah, he could be crazy, but if he was crazy, then he's not a good guy. I mean, he's not like someone you want to follow. Not someone's teachings that you think you want to you know, inculcate into your own life and, and try to aspire to be that way. So he's one of the three. And, and the choice that we have is to make the, the differentiation between the three and decide, is he Lord, is he lunatic, or he's liar? So when he makes this statement, it's a profound statement. I am the light of the world. I am God. And if you follow me, I have the light that leads to life. That's what he says. The light that leads to life. Now, it's interesting because this word light, on the surface, it means light. But as you dig into it, you realize that God is saying something so much more profound than just the fact that he's illumination. No, no, no. The word light used in all three of these instances literally means he is truth. He is knowledge. And he is understanding. I don't know about you, but I would, I would venture to say that our culture, that we are, we are drowning in information, right? We have more information than any other generation at any time in history has ever had the access to. I mean, we've got, we are so informed that we can't even make a decision, right? Or we're so informed that I'm right and you're wrong. I don't care what you have to say. We're starving for truth starving for truth. We're not getting truth from the media. We're not getting truth in politics. We're not getting truth from any outlet that we look to. We are so hungry for truth that we can't even recognize it sometimes. Drowning in information, starving in truth. And here God, thousands and thousands of years ago, says, I am truth. I am truth. You can't sit here and tell me that you don't want truth. We need truth. I know the truth hurts sometimes. I know the truth is difficult, but we want truth the truth. We have a fundamental need and desire for the truth. And it's amazing that God would say this because now we live in a culture where they say there is no absolute truth, right? There's no absolute truth, except for the fact that there's no absolute truth. There's no absolute truth. Everything is relative. If it's good for you, that's cool, but it may not be good for me. It may be right for you, but it's wrong for me, or it may be wrong for me, but it may be right for you, and that's okay because we all get to define what truth is. We all get to define what morality is. Therefore, we are, the, we are essentially God. I don't know about you, but I think I'd make a poor God. 
I think to myself, if I were God a lot, maybe I would do it like this. But at the end of the day, do you really want the person sitting to your left or right defining what truth is? Even if you're married to them. No. Are we capable of defining for ourselves what right and wrong is? Are we the beholders of morality and truth? You cannot build a society on anything that says, well, it may be right for you and it may be wrong for you. No, no, no. There has to be truth. There has to be morality. There has to be someone that holds that and says, this is right and this is wrong universally. Absolutely. Whether you agree with it or not. And as much as we say we don't want that, oh, we do. Not only do we want it, we need it. We need light. We can't live without light, can we? We are physically dependent upon light. Take light away, can't see, number one. Number two, you're going to have some deficiencies, vitamin deficiencies and kind of stuff in your body. You're going to be not as happy. You're going to be depressed. You take away all light, even in the form of heat, how are you going to eat? Vienna sausages only cut it for so long. We are physically dependent upon light. We need light to function. The earth needs light to function. We need light. So we can't separate ourselves from the physical need for light. And I would say we cannot separate ourselves from the spiritual need for light, for truth, for knowledge, and for understanding. See, God just didn't show up on the earth to physically be present. No, no, no. He showed up on the earth to be present for every need that we have, physically, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, and eternally. So when he says, I am light, man, that's a statement. It's a divine statement, but it's a statement that that permeates every part of who we are and meets the most basic, but I would say more than basic, intensely fundamental and important needs that we have as a human being. To know that truth exists, and it exists in a personal way, in a real way, in a transformative way. And the question that we have to ask ourselves before we move on out of here then would be, what are the implications of this for me in my life? Because, you know, we can talk about this all the day, all, 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 as much as we want, but if we leave here and we don't do anything with it or consider it, then we're going to be right back in the same spot. What are the implications of this for us? First, it's understanding that, that light, as it is truth and knowledge and understanding, that it brings meaning and purpose to our lives. Meaning and purpose. There is a meaning and a purpose behind the universe. I don't know about you, but I find it difficult to believe that the chance of a tornado going through a junkyard and forming a Boeing 747 that can fly in the air, having all the right parts, all the right processes, everything perfect and being painted, that that... Sometimes it says to be a Christian, you have to be foolish and have faith. I think it probably takes just as much faith to believe in that as it does in an intelligent creator behind the universe that says there is meaning and purpose to your life. Think about the implications of this. What this says is that you are not a product of time plus chance plus matter. You are not an accident. I don't, there are accidental parents, but there are no accidental children. Regardless of how you came into this world, you were created with intentionality, with purpose, with love and consideration. That's what Jesus being the light and saying, let there be light, means there's meaning and purpose for your life. You are here on purpose. Secondly, light brings order to chaos. 
In Genesis, when God said, let there be light, there was darkness and formlessness, all, all this stuff, and light brought order to the chaos of the universe at that time. Jesus, being the light, the personification of light, brings order to the chaos of your life, the emotional chaos, the spiritual chaos, the, the, the physiological chaos to your life. He wants to bring order to that. We long for order because with order comes peace comes a sense of being able to settle down on the inside, a confidence in knowing that we're not alone. There's life beyond this life, that we can spend an eternity with the one who created us. It brings order to the chaos. God brought brought such a greater sense of order to the universe when Jesus came into this earth. He brought order inside of the chaos and hearts and minds of every person on the earth. And here's the third thing is that light brings freedom and it brings salvation. See, Jesus made that statement at a celebration of not just light, but of freedom and salvation. Light brings this this purpose, right? This meaning, this, this order, but ultimately salvation and freedom. Peace to your soul. A peace that passes and transcends all understanding and guards our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Let there be light. I am the light of the world. I am your meaning. I am your order. I am your salvation and your freedom. That there is hope. That there is hope, meaning there is a confident expectation of a future good. So I, I hope that, that, that next time that you look at light, whatever the source of the light that you are looking at, that you're gazing upon, that you're beholding, that you see it's not just the product of, of electricity. It's not just the sun burning whatever gas it burns. No, 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 that's God himself revealing himself to me. And he came in a far more personal way than even this sunlight can come in. That he came in the form of himself as a human being to be with me, to see me, and more importantly, to be inside and set me free. See, we gave you this glow stick. I want you to pull them out. Don't crack them yet. Don't crack them. Pull them out. Hold it in your hand. Encapsulated form of light that you can touch, that you can feel. That's what God did in Jesus, an encapsulated form of light that came to the earth that people could touch, that people could be around, they could talk to, and that he would touch them. He would heal them of sickness, disease, mental issues, emotional issues. He walked around. He, he, was, he was a person of the people. He was with people. People touched him. He, he touched them. They, they had an actual physical representation. Not just a representation. They had God himself with them right there. But in the end, when Jesus stood and he makes the statement, I am the light of the world, he was looking towards something. He was looking toward the end of his life, not too long after he made that statement where he would go and he would sacrifice his life so that this light could be made available for everyone. He understood the end of his life and what that meant and what, and what the implications of that would be. That he, would, he came to the earth not just to be a good guy, but he came to the earth to give his life so that we could all spend an eternity with him in light forever. The Bible says that God dwells in unapproachable light. Unapproachable light. And you know what's so amazing is? Is if you consider the Christmas story, there is a, a light in the sky, a little light in the sky that is used to lead people to him. A light in the sky. I would say the light that we need is the light that leads. The light that we need is the light that leads and it leads us directly to him. But in order for that light to be seen in us, what had to happen is, and you can go take it out now, what has to, this has to be broken, right? 
broken. You can break it and shake it. This, this glow stick would not work no matter how long you looked at it, no matter how much you touched it, but the moment that you broke it, what happened? It illuminated. In the same way, for Christ, his light to be illuminated in our lives, he had to be broken. The book of Isaiah says that he was punished, right? That he was bruised, that he was, he was beaten, that his stripes on his back were for us. Also says in Isaiah that it pleased the father to crush his son, to crush his son so that the light of the world could be made manifest and available and effective on the inside of us. 